ever tried something on a computer that didn't work? Ever, maybe you had that moment this week. I heard recently about a guy who said, you know what, I, I keep hitting the space bar, but I'm still here on earth. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. It, it won't even be funny after lunch, so don't worry about it. Speaking of hitting the space bar, do you know that there is a world record in hitting the space bar? This, this is an actual thing. Uh, I saw where there's a guy who clicked the space bar 94 times in five seconds. 94 times in five seconds. So there's a website out there if you want to give it a go. I decided to give it a go. About the only extracurricular thing I can do, because it only took me 20 seconds to do, but, but you go and you, you click. And so I think I tried it three or four times. My best time was 34. Now, on the surface, I realized 34 sounds pretty weak and slow compared to 94, but... In the game Tecmo Bowl, Bo Jackson was the fastest player, and he was 34. So I've got that going for me. And if you take the number 34, and you take the 3 and the 4, and you add them together, it becomes 7. And 7 in the Bible often means complete. So I am completely happy with my 34 clicks, whether or not it's a world record or not. Five seconds. Five seconds. What can you do in five seconds? Well, maybe you can get a world record and click in the space bar. Maybe in five seconds you can put together and solve the whole Rubik's Cube. Maybe in five seconds you can eat four shrimp wontons. I don't know if that's your thing. Maybe in five seconds you can fold a shirt like a ninja. But five seconds, generally speaking, regardless of what you may be able to do, is still not a long, long time. Five seconds is a very short amount of time. Unless... You're talking about the most important things in the universe. I saw something this week where somebody talked about how what we see is not always what's happening. In other words, we can't always see what's really going on. There is more to life than what we can see. And that means that there are things that come our way, some of the best breakthroughs in our life, we never saw them coming. And some of those breakthroughs can happen in about five seconds. About five seconds. Now, I'd love to tell you that today's sermon is only going to be five seconds long. But no such luck. But I do hope that today there might be some breakthroughs in your life. Some minor breakthroughs, maybe some major breakthroughs. As we pay attention and look at the truth of God's word. Apostle Paul was writing to some folks in a place called Corinth. And in chapter 13, he wrote this to them, beginning with verse 11. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. It's pretty self-explanatory, right? I mean, there was a point early in my life when I stopped wearing diapers And I stopped drooling, and I stopped rearranging my life around eating chocolate pudding. Those things stopped. Now, humility reminds me there may be a time later in life where I start doing those things all over again. It's it's possible. But why would Paul write about these things? Why would Paul say these things about a child? Well, a couple of sentences back, Paul made this pretty bold and really encouraging statement. He said that love never fails. 
Love never fails. The stock market may fail. The campaign of your favorite candidate may fail. Your attempt to break a world record space bar clicking might fail. But not love. Love never fails. Love never quits. Love never ends. Now, about this time, somebody might be thinking of their favorite Old Testament passage from Song of Solomon 2.5. Comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. All right, maybe, you know. Maybe, maybe there's some people out there today who are like, man, I'm just so tired of hearing about love. And, and how does that happen? How is it that we get to the point of kind of being sick about hearing about love? Well, I think it could be one of three reasons. One, we're not being very loving to others. Two, other people are not being very loving toward us. Or three, we're using the wrong definitions of love. Just, just three ideas of why we sometimes might be sick of hearing about love. Paul, when he's writing about love here, he's not talking about intimate love. He's not talking about family love or friend love. He's not talking about movie love or hobby love or sports love. He's not talking about shrimp wonton love. He's not talking about apple love. He's talking about what's known as agape love. It's a, a non-self-centered love. It's a love that's self-denying. It's a love that keeps on loving even when the love is rejected. That's the, the picture of love we have. And so when we begin to say, man, I'm just I'm kind of tired of hearing about love, 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 part of that reason is our love is being rejected, or we have someone demanding that we would love more, or we've convinced ourselves that, that the, our love for our family and our love for our pets and our love for our boat and our love for our tractor is the same kind of love as God's kind of love. But it's not. God's kind of love is different. And here's the primary reason why we should never get sick of God's kind of love. Paul was writing to the folks at Rome, and he said this, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? He goes on. No, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And then he says this, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, depth, nor any other created thing, just in case anything got left out, will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As believers, we should always be concerned if we get sick of hearing about love because love is the reason we exist. We exist because of love. We have been saved because of love. We have victory in life because of love. We have victory in death because of love. God's kind of love is designed to define the life of a believer. What if somebody's not a believer? What if somebody's not a follower of Jesus? Well, if that's the case, then their life will be defined by something else. Does that mean they won't, they won't have any love? No. They may have a job that they love. They may have a, a house that they love, a car that they love. They may, they may have some travel experiences that they love. They may have some, some exciting events that they go to that they love. 
They may look at their life and say, hey, you know, I exercise good. I got a body that I love. They may look at everything that's happening and say, you know what, I I got a favorite team that I love and that team wins all the time. And and you know what? I've got a marriage that's like one of those romance movies. I, I got a loving marriage. You can have all kinds of love. But if you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then you will be separated from God's kind of love. You'll be separated from the kind of love that actually helps in the worst moments. You'll be separated from the kind of love that would actually help you have victory in the midst of tribulations and distress and peril. You would have the kind of love that when all things present and all things to come and every other created thing begins to attack you and pull you away from all that's good and holy and happy and satisfying, the love of God would bring you back. But if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, you you don't have a connection to that love. With Christ, though, when tribulation and distress and peril and things present and things to come and, and any other created thing, when those things come, Paul reminds us that in Christ we will overwhelmingly conquer in all of those things. Not just casual victory, but, but overwhelmingly conquer. Now, does that mean that we'll never get sick? That we'll never have trouble in life? That our marriage will be perfect? That our kids will never rebel? Does it mean that we won't lose our job? Does it mean that we won't have to care for our aging parents? Does it mean that that any and all things that we desire to have economically in our life will always perfectly work out? No, it doesn't mean any of those things. To overwhelmingly conquer just means this. It means that Easter changes everything. What does that mean? It means that the resurrection of Jesus Christ can change every single moment in life. Because the resurrection of Jesus comes with this guarantee that for all who believe, there will also be resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus becomes the amazing, highest reality of hope. Two chapters later in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said this, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. <laughs> oh man, if this, this resurrection thing isn't true, then let's just, let's just blow it all off. And, and then for me, it's almost like a little, little parenthesis. It's like he's saying, and if you're thinking that way, then, then listen to this too. Here's the second part. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. So, what kind of company are you keeping these days? Are you in the company of the redeemed? Does that mean that you're only supposed to hang out with Christians and you're not supposed to have any non-Christian friends? No, that's not what it means at all. Primarily, we're talking about the mind here. Who you're keeping company with in your mind. Who are you listening to first and most in your mind? See, bad company is is not just found down at the, the local pool hall the local bar or the local beauty shop, okay? Bad company can be found on your TV, on your radio, and on your social media feed. There's, there's bad company just about anywhere. 
writing recently about the, the mob mentality that we see in our culture today, Greg Moore said this about crowds. He said, crowds possess the power to make the timid brave, the good better, or the bad devastating. And then he goes on. When passions are shared, they swell. Exciting actions to the status of legend or infamy. The power of assembly can build a better society or destroy it. So where's the company of your mind? Are you building or destroying? Which, which company, which, which crowd are you mentally hanging out with these days? Are you hanging out with the Easter crowd? Or are you hanging out with the presidential election is going to be the end of the world as we know it crowd? You're hanging out with the Easter crowd, or are you hanging out with the presidential election is going to be the new Garden of Eden on earth crowd? Are you hanging out with the Easter crowd, or are you hanging out with the pandemic is a complete hoax crowd? Are you hanging out with the Easter crowd, or are you hanging out with the pandemic is the apocalypse crowd? Which, which crowd is in your mind? Which, which company are you keeping? Morse goes on to say this, Fighting with the madness of crowds is nothing if there is nothing after this life. If death were the end, Paul and his companions would go out for drinks, have some laughs, and never cause a commotion for Christ. But then he says this, But Paul believed in the resurrection. He believed he possessed eternal life. He knew his God. He knew his Savior. He knew he was immortal. He knew it. It wasn't a casual thought. It wasn't a fairy tale. He knew it. Now, listen to verse 11 again. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. It's, it's a picture of the company of the mind, right? When I was a child, my, my mind was more childish then I put those childish things away. Now, specifically, Paul is referring back to verses 8 and 10. And what he's saying is that, that generally speaking, that if you try to make prophecy or speaking in tongues or some strain of systematic theology more important than God's kind of love or more important than the gospel, then in a sense, you are being childish. That's, that's the picture that he's painting. And, and childishness, childish, childish, child, that's a mouthful. Childishness and childlike faith are completely different things. Childlike faith never gets distracted from Jesus. And that, that's how we see it, right, in these pictures of children in the, in the New Testament. There's this childlike faith, faith, this trust in Jesus. Childishness is always distracted. It, it's always pulled away by things present, things to come, pulled away by every other created thing. It's always distracted. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't pay attention to things present? mean we shouldn't pay attention to things to come or pay attention to all the other created things? No, it doesn't mean that. What it means is this, that the main company of our minds needs to be the Easter crowd, so to speak. So if you're a believer, just, just a few questions just to consider. Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe that you possess?
possess eternal life. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in your Savior? Do you believe you are immortal? If so, then that truth reminds you of this, that you can and one day you will overwhelmingly conquer in all things because of the love of Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ. That's why the love of Christ matters so much. That's why the resurrection matters so much. That's why we say our main company needs to be the Easter crowd because the Easter crowd company reminds us that love never fails and love never quits and love never ends because the ultimate definition of love is Jesus. So, don't get sick of the word love because the love that we see from God is the kind of love that's supposed to be in our life and it is the mark of maturity. It's the mark of maturity. Now, I hope that simple truth is is some kind of breakthrough for you today. A breakthrough in in how you're thinking, even today and, and how you're thinking this week. And not just to how you're thinking, but to how you're seeing. Look what Paul says next in verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. I don't know about you, but sometimes I want the mirror to be a little dim, right? You know, I don't really want to see what I see. Like you come home at the end of the day, come home from school or work, and you walk by the mirror and you stop and you look back and you go, Yikes, does my hair look like that all day long? Sometimes we want the mirror to be dim. In ancient times, the, the mirrors were, were kind of like those fun mirrors that you see at the state fair or carnivals or arcades. You know, they're, they're not really that clear. You know, you can't really see much in it. There's, there's something there, but you don't know exactly what it is. That's kind of what Paul's saying. He's saying, you know, we know some things about God. We know some things about Jesus. We know some things about heaven. We know some things about hell. We know some things about theology. We know how to build an ark. We, we know how to decorate a tabernacle. But, but we just know some things. We just know in part. We don't have the complete picture. But then he says this, one day, though, we'll have the full picture. We will know fully, is what he says. One day, we'll get it all. If we're honest, though, some of us don't like that. I mean, really. From the White House to the State House to the Church House to my house to your house, we, we seem to have this thing where we lean far too often toward the ways of child philosopher Veruca Salt, who wanted her golden egg and wanted to eat it too. Veruca's song, her tune in Willy Wonka went like this, I want a party with roomfuls of laughter. 10,000 tons of ice cream. And if I don't get the things I'm after, I'm going to scream. Presents and prizes and sweets and surprises of all shapes and sizes. I want it now. Sorry, I can resist. That's how it went, right? I mean, th- this thing, I want it now, I want it now, I want it now. We don't like to admit it, but that is exactly what we sound like. I mean, really. We 
want answers now. We want access now. We want normal now. We want change now. We want information now. We want explanations now. We want help now. We want healing now. We want it all now. And most of the time, generally speaking, that is childish. It is. It's just childish. And you know what else it is? It's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible for your pastor or your physician or your politician or your paleontologist or any other person in your life to ever have all the answers that you want, to ever have all the answers that you need. It's it's not possible. Even if God himself were to give you the answers that you really want, in the words of Colonel Jessup, you can't handle the truth. We can't. This side of heaven, we cannot handle the answers that we demand to know. We can't handle it. But that's what makes the Easter crowd so great. Because see, the the Easter crowd, it, it reminds us of the resurrection. When the resurrection of Jesus becomes your ultimate answer in life, when that becomes the answer of all answers for you, When knowing God, when knowing your Savior, when knowing that you possess eternal life, when knowing this phrase that you are immortal in Jesus, when you know that, that changes every single moment in life. When you don't get 10,000 tons of ice cream, when your candidate doesn't get elected, when you have to wear a mask to the beauty shop or to church or wherever you have to go, when any of those things happen, to know the resurrection and the power of the resurrection, it changes everything. So we know some things now, but there's coming a day when we'll know in full. And that's a great thing. Why? Because unlike so many things in our lives right now, that means there really is actually something tangible to always look forward to. Always. There's always something we can look forward to. You know, I think many people are angry and depressed and and afraid right now because they feel like the world is just falling apart. And guess what? It is. And guess what? It's always been falling apart. But that's what sin does. And that's why the church exists. Throughout the history of the world, the world is always longing and yearning for beauty. And we have beauty. We have good news for the world. And that good news is in the person and the work and the salvation and the resurrection and the returning of Jesus. We have this good, great news to offer to the entire world. In Christ, there's always something to look forward to. There's always something to look forward to because you cannot be separated from his love. You cannot be separated from the love of Christ. It is impossible. No power of hell. No scheme of man. No pandemic. No heart attack. No stroke. No economic failure. No presidential election. Nothing. Put anything in the blank you want. None of it can ever separate you from the love of Christ. So here's the heart question for us. Do we believe it? I mean, do we believe that? Do we believe that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ? 
Now, I'm not asking if you believe if you're a Baptist or a Methodist or Presbyterian, Episcopalian. I'm, I'm not asking if you believe that, that you're a South Carolinian or a Tiger or a Gamecock or a Coke person or a Pepsi person. I'm not asking if you believe if you're a Republican or a Democrat or an American. I'm asking you, do you believe that you cannot be separated from the love of Christ? Do you believe that? There is a hope in the resurrection of Christ that cannot be explained. But if you believe it, then every five seconds of your life can be different. Every five seconds of your life can change. Why? Because no matter what you're listening to, no matter what you're watching, no matter what you're hearing, all of it can be overridden by the simple truth, purchased with his own blood, that you cannot be separated from the love of Jesus. It can't happen. I heard it put this way. It's kind of like that black and white illusion picture, you know, where, where you look at it, you either see a young woman or an old woman. That's kind of the picture. Like, when you're looking at whatever you're looking at, can you still see the love of Christ? No matter what you're seeing, can you, can you still see the love of Christ? No matter what you're listening to, can you still hear the love of Christ? No matter what's happened in your life that's creating pain or anger or frustration or sadness or depression or anything else, can you in the midst of all of that still feel the love of Christ? And how can you do that? How can you see and, and hear and feel that way? Well, it's super simple, but it's by remembering. It's by remembering. Remembering that one day life will not be like a, a carnival mirror. It, it won't be fuzzy. You won't know in part, you'll know in full. One day things will be different because one day you'll see Jesus. I think sometimes we know we should remember that, but, but we don't always remember that. That, that we will see Jesus face to face. Just put this in context. Being saved by Jesus and by default being with Jesus forever is the greatest satisfaction in the universe. There's nothing greater. But sometimes we as Christians seem to not live and think that way. Why? Why do we not live and think that way? This past Friday on our podcast, Make Your Own Headlines, I, I made the following statement. We've had so many smoothies and lattes and Hot Pockets and Pop-Tarts, and we've watched so many movie sequels and binged so many TV shows, and we've pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps so many times that we've almost unknowingly become dull to the things of God. Dull to the things of God. To be saved by Jesus and by default to be with Jesus forever one day is the greatest, most satisfying thing in the universe. But we don't often lean that way because far too often we are just enjoying the things around us too much. C.S. Lewis put it this way, like a child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily So how can we quit making mud pies? How can we be less dull? How can we take the truth 
of the resurrection of Jesus and it have an impact in our life on this Sunday, September 7th? Well, it involves two pursuits. It involves you pursuing God and it involves God pursuing you. It's, it's both and. So how can you pursue God? The list is, is pretty simple. Engage with the Bible. Engage with prayer. Engage with good books about God. Engage with good music about God. Engage with good sermons about God. Engage with good podcasts about God. Engage with mature Christians. Engage with people who are not Christians. Because all of those engagements will keep stirring in your mind and heart the overwhelming reality that you've been saved. And your heart and your mind and soul will be stirred by all of those things that, hey, I'm saved and it is impossible for me to ever be separated from the love of Christ. And that does something to you. So pursue God. Pursue Him. But you can't do all that on your own. John Piper says this, God wills that a chapter be read or a meal prepared or a friend visited in the space of hours, not seconds. He wills that a house be built in months, not hours. He wills that a child be reared in years, not months. We all know that. We experience that in life. And he says this, but there are breakthroughs which could come in seconds. Seconds. If you've been a Christian for, let's just say, more than 10 years, you remember that moment? Or maybe that more than one moment where, like, it was just a few seconds and something clicked? I mean, I remember getting off the interstate, Highway 5 in North Augusta, heading toward Columbia. Goodness, that was 1994, whatever the math is on that. And I can remember in a millisecond the song that I was listening to changed the course of my whole way of thinking about Life and what I was supposed to do with my day every day, and it's why I'm standing before you now. It was a breakthrough on the interstate in less than five seconds. I know some more moments like that. Some of you have had those moments where there was a breakthrough, and God, God did something. He, he changed something inside of you. Piper goes on to say this, God can do more in five seconds than we can do in five hours or five months or five years. It's true. It's amazing. And it's true. So whatever your five-year plan is, your five-day plan, your five-week plan, whatever it is that's stressing you out about any of those things, just remember God can do more in five seconds than we can do in all of our fives. My original and reigning BFF texted me last week and asked this question, has there ever been a preacher give more examples to sermons using food? I'm thinking, no, you know, probably not. And here comes another one. And the hits just keep on coming. All right, so I love steak. <laughs> I do. I, I love steak. I love fresh shrimp. I, I don't care if you fry it, if you grill it, if you boil it. I, I don't care. I, I love fresh shrimp. I love air-fried asparagus. New thing in my life, I love it. Man, it's so good. I love a burger at Neptune's in Boston. I love a donut. I love a slice of pecan cream pie. Best thing that has ever happened to me in this pandemic is that recipe that my wife found. It's fantastic. I, I, I love 
all these different foods. What, what are your foods that you love? You've got some in your mind. And what else do you love? You love hunting, you love fishing, you love shopping, you love reading, you love fortnighting. Do you love college football? Do you love pro football? Do you love basketball? Do you love soccer? Do you love golf? Do you love lacrosse? Do you love jazz music or classical music or rock music or hip-hop music? Do you love your spouse, love your kids, love your parents, love your grandparents, love your grandkids, love your friends? What do you love? What do you love? Imagine you take all the things that you love, the best things in life. You take the, the best food and the, the best travel experiences and the best sport experiences and the best hobbies. You take the, the best cars and the best homes and the, the best financial situations, the, the best retirement. You take the, the best health, the best people. Take all of the best, any best that you have. And I recently heard somebody put it this way. That there's coming a day when the best things in life will all be swallowed up in a fullness of pleasure that goes beyond anything we can imagine. What is that fullness of pleasure? What is that best of the best? What is the most satisfying thing that our hearts and our souls could ever know, no matter what's happening? That best, that fullness of pleasure is seeing Jesus face to face. That's it. There is no greater joy in the universe than seeing Jesus face to face. Whether it takes five years, five months, or five seconds, would God give us?